Welcome back to The Rate of Change with York Wealth Management. As advisors to some of the wealthiest families in the country, The Rate of Change is a podcast designed to help you in the pursuit of building long-term wealth through the insights of some of the brightest minds in asset management. I'm your host, Murdoch Gaddy, and today's broadcast, I'm speaking with Andrew Mitchell, one of the founders at Ophir Asset Management. Andrew and I had a good chat just before Christmas and the festivities kicked off, so I thought it would be a great way to start the year. Andrew, alongside Stephen Yang and other colleagues, manage four funds. Ophir has a fundamental bottom-up research approach aimed at identifying businesses domestically and internationally with the ability to meaningfully grow and compound earnings over time. So to put it another way, they want to find companies before they end up in vogue. Andrew unpacks their investment philosophy and what they look for when searching for new businesses and discusses their three funds and what's been driving performance recently and over uh, since inception. Quick overview of the three funds, and if you want any more information on the fourth, please speak with your financial advisor or reach out to Ophir directly. As of the 30th of November 2023, the Opportunities Fund has averaged since inception 20.6%, over five years, 15%, averaged over three years, 9.1%, the past 12 months, it's averaged 7.8%. The High Conviction Fund since inception's averaged 12.2%, average over five has been 7.8%, three years, half a percent, past 12 months, uh, 2.5%. And the Global Opportunities Fund, since inception's average 11.7%, 13.3% over the past five years, negative 2.6% over the past three years, and 0.4% over the past 12 months. So I really hope everyone's had a great break has come back feeling refreshed. Uh, So if you're back on deck today, you're still having a bit more fun in the sun. Um, I really hope uh, you enjoy kicking off the year with this conversation with Andrew. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So sit back, relax and enjoy Andrew Mitchell, welcome to The Rate of Change with York Wealth Management. Thanks very much for having me, Murdoch. Um, it's been a long time, Andrew. Um, why don't we start things off by telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, your formative years, and how you got into financial markets? Look, I wish I had a story like everyone else seems to have. Their grandfather took them to the exchange and they had this amazing story and bought this stock at 10 years old. But really for me... Uh, I sort of discovered the share market, discovered funds management in an unorthodox way, if you like. My father's actually an economist and he worked for the government and I really didn't know what I wanted to do after uh, school. So I studied economics and finance and, um, yeah, ended up working for the government like my father. I did honours in economics and worked for Treasury in Canberra uh, in the international economic forecasting part of uh, Treasury, Uh, but it became sort of clear to me that there was a bigger picture out there. I was reading newspapers every day, lunchtime, uh, read the financial review and you'd read the economics, but there was so much about the companies and I realised, you know, the real engine, if you like, for uh, the economy is business. That's really where the action, action and interest was. And so from that, I 
transferred to Commonwealth Bank as an economist and then from Commonwealth Bank as an economist as I knew that was the way of getting my foot in the door. I became an equities analyst at, at Comsec in which is Commonwealth Bank Institutional Equities Research and I was in the uh, foundation small cap team uh, and from that I met David Paradise pretty quickly who hired me, I think I was in the role for something like six months, so I was very green. And I was hired by David I started, and so 2008 obviously had the GFC. I was a portfolio manager and had to navigate uh, my way through that uh, and did that successfully. And quite a bit of that was fortuitous as well because I really didn't want to own any companies I found difficult to understand, which was the exact thing you had to do in the GFC. So I sort of fell into doing the right thing in some way, but uh, uh, fortune favours the brave and um, being a portfolio manager in the GFC, very young, 27 years old, uh, I learned a lot and I left Paradise at the end of um, 2011 and that fund that I was running and Stephen was with me at the end, uh, did 20% outperformance a year for five years um, and that uh, ranked that fund the number one performing um, uh, fund when you compared it to uh, the Mercer server uh, over that period from 2007 to 2011. And that, that was really one to, to start with for you, Stephen and myself. Uh, we had some foundation superannuation funds as clients. We had three that came on board very quickly. They gave us $50 million each, and that was the start of Ophir and loved every minute of it since. Yeah, I remember that um, in the AFR, that, Par- that Paradise article, when it put your name up in lights, and then I was chatting to my licensee who owns Independent Investment Research. research. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know those guys. I've written some research on them. They're good guys. You should check them out. I definitely do recall that. Um, well, that was a long time ago, but you know, time's been good to you, I suppose. So um, Ophir's got... Uh, three funds, yep. correct? The global and Australian small companies. Um, how are they the same? How are they different? And what's the overall investment philosophy? Well, the overall investment philosophy is exactly the same. And that is get out there, do research, do the work that other people find difficult to do or don't want to do, uh, generate an edge with all legal means, of course, uh, work out something in terms of why this company is going to grow its cash flow faster than the market expects in the next uh, forecastable period, so the next one, two, three years, and then try and exploit that edge and get your weight right. And a lot of the work we do is around uh, speaking to people, suppliers, customers, competitors, all those to try and really understand the business and understand why it has the ability to take market share and grow faster than that market. If you can do that right, then um, you generally make really good money on your investments. So we do that across all all three of our funds. Uh, I guess the obvious difference in the two Aussie funds is one of them really goes into the top 100 and we like following. So a company like realestate.com, a company we own, um, we bought it when we were at Paradise around $3 a share. And then I think it was around 
twelve dollars or something like that. It went into the top one hundred. Don't quote me on that, but it, when we were at a few, it went into the top one hundred. We had to sell it because the mandates those superannuation funds didn't like us owning top one hundred stocks. So then, of course, it goes up 10, 15 times, 20 times post that. And you look like a bit of a deal um, selling a stock that you knew very well. So what the Ophir High Conviction Fund does, different from the Ophir Opportunities, which is the original fund, is that it's able to follow companies as they continue to grow. So to give you an idea, the Ophir Opportunities Fund, that's our small cap fund. That's uh, generated as of the end of uh, 2023. It has been going for 11 and a half years and it's done over 20% per annum returns after all fees. The High Conviction Fund, uh, that's been going for seven, eight years. I think it's done something like 13, 14% a year. Uh, Obviously, beaten its benchmark quite considerably over that time. And that's listed on the ASX and trades under ticker OPH. And as I said, it's got uh, some of those mid-cap top 100 stocks. But there's roughly a 40-50% overlap between the two funds. And then finally, you've got the Global uh, the global Fund, the Global Opportunities Fund. As I get said, same process. We're doing the same stuff, except we're just applying it globally. And we invest in the uh, Western world in small caps so the us is roughly two-thirds of our index the global mid small misky index uh then you have western europe the nordics the uk uh, australia canada we don't have any investments in australia it's so small you don't really need to anyway Uh, and the other part of that index is japan but we don't invest in japan it's roughly 10 percent of the um, so that's, yeah, that's the uh, three different funds and the the Global Opportunities Fund has been going for it's five, six years. It's had a tough time in the last couple of years, but it's still outperformed its benchmark uh, by about five or five percent per annum um, over that six year period. And again, don't quote me, I'm a bit loose on these numbers, but I think it's done something like 12, 13 percent return per annum for six years, five, six years, uh, when the market's done eight or something like that. But it's done reasonably well since its inception. Yeah, it's uh, been a long time and some good numbers on the board. Um, before we're getting into, you know, how the cake is made, um, why don't we discuss um, the mechanics um, of the fund? Because three funds, in each fund, um, one's a high conviction fund. How many stocks do you cover? Like how big's your team? How much money under management? Oh right, yeah, yeah. So we've got um, yeah, well in excess of a billion dollars under management. We've got a team of I think I have to always count this, but I think it's around 10, 11 investment professionals uh, that work between the the global and the Aussie and the Aussie funds. In terms of stocks, we cover. The universe is huge. Um, We narrow it down, obviously, uh, to a lot smaller number. So we don't invest in companies that are unprofitable and going to stay unprofitable for a long time. Um, We don't invest in sort of concept, biotech-y sort of concept stocks. We need to see runs on the board. We're not investing pre-revenue by any means. We don't invest in highly geared companies. 
And so we narrow the market right down and we're really looking in terms of Australia between 215 billion, if you like, 200 million and 15 billion. And globally, we're probably looking at between seven, 800 million US to let's say seven, eight billion, nine billion US. Occasionally you get one that's a bit bigger or a bit smaller, but that's the sort of area that we operate. Because we were just discussing, um, you know, off air that um, you know Ophir runs its own race, which is great. You don't look at anyone else's. Uh, you don't. You don't. You don't like in an exam looking at someone else's paper, going, "Hey, what are you putting down for the answer?" You, you have yeah. your own process. You are. Uh, you go through. You try to find exactly companies that are off the beaten track, which I suppose makes a lot of sense because if there's not a lot of eyeballs on it, potentially they've been mispriced, right? So there might be a lot of value there. How do you find these companies? Like, what's the process? Look, because that's incredibly interesting. Look. So what everyone does, and this is what everyone does, right? They run screens. Screens, they use their Bloomberg or Bloomberg or their fax set, and they say, look, we don't want any company that's got a gearing level of debt above this. We want to see profit growth of the last three years like this. We want to see um, margins that are this and return on capital of this. And everyone does that that we speak to. And it sounds really great when they tell you, but the problem is everyone does that. Um, and so for, from our perspective, it's very difficult to actually make money over the long term in a screen. People, I think, quite often think that they're making money because of their great screening process, where it's really they just have a factor bias at a, at a time, at a point in time. I mean, we like quality stocks and quality stocks really work when you're going into an economic malaise like we've been in for the last couple of years. So we really are out there looking for companies that are not covered, that people aren't looking at. And some of the best ideas, I know one company we found years ago uh, in Fort Lauderdale, like just outside of Miami, we were down there seeing a completely different company. And we just had a look at what listed companies were around nearby. Uh, and we thought we'd pop in and we found a, you know, a really good business just doing just doing that it's screened it's screened horribly but the management team that had just come in to run it they created a couple of billion dollar businesses before they were trying to stay off the radar because they were buying stock on market and they were building up their position so that they could make a lot of money on this one and we told them that we're with some australians and we we're really keen to come and see them and they said oh, i guess you can come in and see us and um, yeah it did very well so yes the best ideas i find are quite often the 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 ones that you don't expect are going to be good ideas the one that screens really well well guess what there's ten thousand people around the world that have run that same screen and that company looks very very good so your ability to actually get an edge on that company it's small and it's probably a factor bias is going to determine whether you make money out of it or not well, you're going to hate me then because I'm 100% going to ask you what companies you're buying right now, what you're owning. <laughs> like, so, so at the moment, I'm not going to say that this doesn't continue because there's reasons to think we're at peak rates now. We've uh, seen the 10-year come down from five to four. Uh, inflation's looking under control and maybe we get that soft landing. So... We've, we've, got, we've had a few beaten up stocks uh, recently 
that we think that they're actually doing a lot better than the market thinks. But when the market was selling off, they sold them off quite aggressively. And so we've been looking to add to those sort of businesses because um, I think the market's coming back and putting a microscope and bidding these up. Um, so there's one business, if you like, which is um, in the US called Freesia. Um, it's hurt us quite a bit. It's traded significantly down underneath two times sales. It's one of two companies that's not profitable that we own in our global, global fund. But it's going into profitability. And that company was sold off very aggressively. And when the market, we saw the 10-year coming down, we bought business. So what it does is it's um, practice management systems for, for doctors, if you like. So software, for, so GPs can run their practices a lot more efficiently. And the growth has had a bit of a downward trajectory recently. It's uh, really affected the price, but you, we've seen that stock off and we bought that very well. So it's an existing company, but sometimes it's not, um, you don't make your money necessarily finding that new business. It's the existing business that has been harshly dealt with um, and, you know, it's been every day I've looked at it recently, it's up six, seven percent a day. And it's keeping your nerve and not selling these companies at the bottom when it's not working for you and being able to leverage into that position. So a small position we're able to make a bit bigger and we've actually been taking a bit of profits recently in it. But these are the sort of companies that we've been buying recently as we've sort of transitioned from that I don't know if you know this Murdoch, but we wrote something about this um, today on our LinkedIn. The Russell has gone in the space of 44 days from a 52-week low to a 52-week high. It's incredible. This hasn't happened since the 70s, and it's obviously because of that, that declining rate expectations. So that time is ripe to be finding, looking at your existing portfolio, and when we'd seen the market was really oversold, right at the end of October, it was really ready to, to run hard. Um, we went back to our existings. We're not going to find that unicorn stock. You can't just, when the market's rallying, oh, let's just find that unicorn stock now. Um, we go back to our existing stocks that have been sold off far more than they should have. And that's, yeah, hope that answers the question. No, no, it does. Um, there's some quote like, you know, uh, uh, weak times a weak man or something equivalent then then uh, hard times create strong men or something so the point I'm getting at is when things come off is the when people should be looking at buying but you know everyone behavioral psychology people do the opposite and then the craziest thing with a lot of people do is they're always looking for oh, I need to buy the next thing that's not in my portfolio to make money when hold on a second you've invested in these businesses maybe 12 months six months or five years ago why did you invest in them What's going on with those companies? And maybe if you look at them a bit closer, there's a high probability they'll come back instead of, you know, getting out apples and buying oranges. It, behavioral you're, psychology you're very, is so interesting. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's a very nuanced uh, what you uh, are talking about there, though, Murdoch, because we talk about the averaging down, and we've done it before, The best fund managers 
and I talk to the team about it because people love buying their existing stocks as they go down because if, if I'm not buying it now, the mentality, and again, this is a different psychology, a different behavioral psychology is if I'm not buying it, then I mustn't have conviction. I've got conviction. Uh, so I must buy it and you, and you buy it all the way down. But really, the best fund managers are right 60% of the time, right? So the ones, if you're wrong 40% of the time, that's a huge loss, right? Now, what's good about a long-only fund, and I should have said that, we're long-only, is that you can only lose your existing principle right, that you put for a stock, whereas shorters, they get a stock wrong. The position that they're wrong on gets bigger and bigger. It becomes the biggest problem. Whereas when you're long-only, we have a problem that gets a smaller and smaller problem, unless you're averaging down. So if you're only 40% of the time and you just keep buying it all the way down, you can actually lose more than your original position size. So one thing that I've really been talking to the team recently is we sort of we have some very smart people who have got a lot of confidence on their own ability, and that's great because you need that. You know, the, the glass half full fund manager is a lot better than the glass half empty fund manager. Is making sure that we're very strategic about we just don't buy stocks that are falling. If we we respect the market, if a stock is breaking down and you think it should be going up, the market's a lot smarter than you get than you give it credit for. And let's wait and see what happens. And you know, see the stock fall down, fall, hit a base of a level, see it start before performing a little bit more normally like at that base before we start buying it or see it starting to respond like as i said freezer this is the highest beta name we've got in our portfolio basically so if the market's up a percent it better be up two percent if it's down we've got a problem uh especially in the us it's quant guys control it so if it's going down there's something really wrong with that stock and we need to respect that and not just sit in the face of it unless we've got a really discernible edge that we've worked out where we can say 100 percent the market is wrong now we don't do anything illegal and that's very rare to be unless you've got to see inside information which is something we don't go anywhere near you're never going to have that confidence. So you really need to respect the market and yeah, triangulate all the information and then weigh that against what the market is telling you before you go hard into a position when it's falling. Because as I said, the best fund managers are wrong 40% of the time. And those times that you're wrong, they're the stocks that are falling. They're the ones that are breaking down. So don't be careful when you're averaging down. Is all I'm saying. I talk. This is a no, topic no, it's, it's, I talk it's a lot good, to the team about. It's a good. It's a good point you raise. And and then as you as you're saying that, it actually reminds me when I was first in the industry at another major firm, which I won't discuss. And what I saw there was they had the finance analyst, they had the resource analyst, they had the industrials. Each particular asset class had their own analyst. You went and spoke to them, or whatever period it was in the macroeconomic cycle. And they were like, this is my favorite stock. You have to buy with this one. I'm like, but hold on a second. The next six to 12 months, resources, we shouldn't be there. No, 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 no. But this is the one you have to be there. And what I learned from that is human beings, if you get given, this is my part of the sandpit, and they, and you look over everything, then you will find your favorite one in this part of the sandpit. But if it's incredibly, you know, wet, rainy day, I don't want to be playing in the sandpit. <laughs> you know? 
I, I, I want to be I want to be up the mountain straight. snowing or something, like in a scheme, because it's just not the right conditions to be playing in that particular sandpit. And I suppose that would make you you make my life easy because I'm an asset allocator. I look at macroeconomics to go right where where's the puck going based on macroeconomics, and we allocate based on asset class, right? You're, you're the gents going, okay, what's specifically in these portfolios? So yeah. with 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 small with small caps, right? What opportunities are you currently seeing in the Australian market? With this market. current rally we're seeing, you know, in in uh in the bond market, it's been a pretty, as you said, it's been a pretty big bounce Look, since the beginning of November. It's funny. I was, uh, I'm home. I'm home now because I've just gone on holidays. As I've told, as I've told you, I've a baby that's going to get born in a couple of weeks, and I have to help my wife with our toddler. Um, but we were just breaking. We are underperforming in Australia at the moment this month. And we can't work out why, because our stock picks are really good. Like we've uh, have a look at Neuron. That's one of our. That's our biggest position in our small cap fund, right? Like, what was that? You just broke up a bit. Company, oh, sorry. The company's Neuron. Um, it's a, a. It's got a portfolio of indications for uh, orphan. Um, it's basically. Um, what was I going to? Just looking for the technical term that escapes me, but anyway, it's just had some fantastic results that we were expecting on its second indication, which is a far bigger market than its first indication, where it's making a lot of money, beating expectations on. Now, this is our biggest position. We're doing really well there. We've got another one that's rebating thirty percent. It's our second biggest position, and we're still underperforming this month. And we're trying to work out why. So, getting back to your point. We've worked out this is what's determining the market in small caps at the moment. It's very it's macro that's driving it uh, a lot rather than the actual underlying company. Now we are we're portfolio managers or I'm a portfolio manager, but we're really stock pickers. Um, and what's driving it is highly geared. the companies that are doing the best at the moment are highly geared companies. Makes sense. Because if rates are going down, then there's less pressure on the economy. So, you know, chances are you'll get through this a bit better. Also, your interest repayments, if you've got a lot of debt and we're looking at your EPS, that's going to do a bit better. So they're going up. Now, of course, we don't like that. We love good management with a good balance sheet that they can put that capital to work. So we're not touching those companies. That's hurting. Um, Size is hurting. So you want to be, if you're in small caps, at the really big ones. Um, we are like Neuron's one of the biggest ones in small caps. It's under research, so we're probably I think our average market caps two two and a half billion. So we're not right at the top. So the size is hurting us. And if you've got momentum, companies that have done well over the last few months, which we have, they're the ones that are doing the worst as the market's flipping and coming back and buying the companies that have been left behind, if you like. So hence we're underperforming this month, and it's quite um, it's quite frustrating because we feel like well, we're doing a, a good question. job. Here's a question on that, right? If if you're stock picking in small caps in Aussie, uh, but say you're looking at macroeconomics and you, you're thinking to yourself, okay, one particular um, sub asset class in those small caps might outperform. Do you uh, increase your weighting across? I don't know the healthcare space or the the tech space. You know. Uh, you might have have a maximum position you can go to is on a three or five percent. What's like? What's the maximum position 
you would purchase in a company. And then if you wanted to, as an example, increase your exposure to tech because you think money's cheap and you might want to take that out to, I don't know, 20%. I'm making up numbers here, by the way. If you yeah, would increase no that exposure to the tech space, do you, do you do it that way or is it purely just look at what do you think is a good business, what's paying cash, um, and you're agnostic on? It's a combination um, of both. Now, we, we are stock pickers, so it is the stocks, but I'd be lying to say that when we see interest rates looking to peak like this, that we didn't go back, for example, Life360, um, it came out with what was a good quarter for its third quarter, this is a $1.5 billion tech stock on the ASX. It's quite rare in terms of the position it holds in most people's portfolios, in, in, in Australia rather, and it's in quite a few portfolios. We took profits when it raced after the quarter result that came out in November, but then it got sold off aggressively. We've come back and we bought that. Uh, and we bought that because we're going, oh, gee, tech's going to run. And there's not much tech stocks that are out there. The view that we have, is everyone's going to buy the tech stock that they know and own. And we know that Life360 had fallen. It went up 10% on the result, and it was amazing sort of turnaround. It was then flat, and then it's probably down 20% since the result. So we came back and we bought all that stock we sold on the premise, and this is my stock specifically. I just went, people. everyone's going to be saying out there, all the Aussie funds, like Mr. Market in Australia, is going to be like, tech's running, what do I buy? I own Life360, it's the easiest one to buy because it's big and tech's running. And if this all reverses, you want to be in something big and liquid, right? Like if you're in, if you go out and buy another small one, like at, right at the small size, so at small end, we own a company called Catapult, which is uh, wearables for elite athletes like professionals in the NBA and Bundesliga soccer and EPL soccer. Um, it's 200 million market cap. It's our smallest stock. You go and buy a million dollars worth on a billion dollar fund, you'll probably send the stock up 20% doing so. And then if interest rates turn, uh, that stock will will fall that whole 20% again. So you want to go big and liquid. And so if you're going to move, you're going to go, it's going to go, and go early. And that's what we've done on that Life360. And we did with other, other stocks as well. But that's just a good example. Yeah, it's uh, it's just really, really interesting. Um, as you mentioned, tech, right? You know, everyone who's been looking at markets knows about the Magnificent Seven. So you got the global um funds. Um, what are you seeing as opportunity in global? What in terms of tech? Um, look, we've done a correlation between interest rates and the the US ten year and the Nasdaq, and it's. The correlation over the last 12 months has been out of this, out of this world. Like, if you just chart it, they just follow Which each other. Which is perfectly correlated, the 10-year to the NASDAQ. I'll show you a chart. If anyone wants to go on our LinkedIn, it's just sitting there on our LinkedIn where we go. We just have how the S&P's gone this year, how the, how the US small caps, the Russell's gone this year. Now we've inverted the US 10-year yield, so it's like the – the price of 10-year bonds inverted and then we've got the nasdaq and it's just uh one for one it's um uh, actually it's not the nasdaq sorry it's uh, us tech so it's actually tech stripped out of the s p 500 and it's one for one so tech stocks there's a lot of opportunities 
But seriously, you tell me where the 10 years going and I'll tell you where, where they're going. Like that's like we've gone from five to four percent for the, the 10 year. Of course, they're going to have done very well. That's a 20 percent, 20 percent increase. Right. But if we go back to five percent again, I'd be saying, look, your tech portfolio is going to get smoked. Likewise, if we go three percent, then giddy up, you're up another around 25 percent. So everyone knows about the tech story, um, but in your newsletter, you mentioned a particular company, which I found quite interesting. Um, and I wanted, wouldn't mind learning a bit more about Transmedics. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Transmedics is one we've owned for a while. We got in very early, like very, very early when we raised money quite some time ago. I'd say quite some time ago, 18 months. 18 months. 18 months. Uh, okay. Now, Transmedics is... Like we do with all, all positions, we start off with an existing position, which would be say two percent. And as you do more and more work, you get you get uh, your confidence builds, uh, and that position goes higher. Now, what Transmedics does is it's involved in the removal, the storage, and the transportation of organs, specifically the heart, lungs, and liver. Now, a stat that might astonish people, I know when I tell people this, it does, is that 80% of lungs that are removed for a transplant are thrown out. They never make it to the recipient's body. Hearts, I think it's 60%. So I'm a bit loose on these figures, but they're um, big numbers, right? So what Transmedics is, is effectively a service, take away from a device, but that's what it'll be known for. It's, It's a service where Hearts, lungs, livers can be removed. They can, well, are removed by specialist surgeons that work for Transmedics. They're stored using a device which keeps the heart, the lung, the liver alive. And you go on, look at their website, you'll see a heart just beating in one of these devices, which then enables the organ to be to be transported and they'll transport the organ to the major center where the transplant will occur because you know someone's in a in a motorbike accident they're brain dead they don't want to just die in, in you know in midtown new york you know they're dying on the in a highway in Idaho. and there's no major uh, medical center nearby but they're the organs that people are going to need so that's what transmedics does um the work we did was we spoke to doctors, hospitals, people who used to work for insurers uh, about their service and they all love it. So doctors, it's fantastic. If you imagine you're a, you're a specialist, cardiothoracic surgeon, you're up in the middle of the night, rushed into surgery, this heart's coming. It's really tough going. It has to be removed. You have to get out there, remove it all these things and that's why and the patient gets woken up at 3 a.m rushed into surgery you can see why you get so the doctors love it because it's a better lifestyle they're up at 7 a.m or whatever their normal time is to go into surgery but mostly as you know with the u.s and this is a u.s business money doctors love money at the best of times in the u.s they love it just that little bit more than i think the doctors in australia love it um, they make more money because they're doing more heart transplants. The patients where they fit in this, I don't know if they've really got much of a choice, but 
they get a better outcome because they're not rushed into surgery. The hospitals make a lot of money. You're talking 78,000 procedure, uh, which uh, Transmedics keeps a, a small share of. It keeps a, a decent share, but the great thing is that if they're doing a lot more of these operations, the hospitals make really good money. And insurers like it. And the reason the insurers like it, and this is very important in the US, is because someone who's chronically ill or who needs a heart transplant for 10 years and is in and out of the hospital will cost the insurance company more than if you can get them a or a liver. So you've got everyone in the ecosystem who wants this to work. Now, I think the the key thing that we worked out very early, and this is when no one looked at the stock, like really no one looked at it, um, was what you see in 2010 in terms of the number of heart transplants, it was about, I think it's about 10,000 transplants occurred in the US in that year. By 2019, that number had increased to 15,000. So you have 5,000 growth in the hearts. This year, it will do something close to 23,000. So you've had this growth of 5,000, 50% growth in nine years, which is really sort of GDP plus a little bit, um, to then have this huge growth again, basically in the last four years. And the reason this is happening is because transmetics. This is the extra that transmetics, they're keeping these organs alive. And so there's more of these uh, transplants occurring. So we worked out that data very early on, but where we were able to make really good money over the last 12 months, I'm talking, this is six months ago, was we went to the largest organ uh, transplant conference in the world. And so one of our us volunteered, went there and just made friends with a lot of people who are in the, um, in the uh, industry. And what came back was the market had severely, because we all knew the analyst numbers, was severely underestimating the amount of heart transplants that were going, well, actually heart lung liver transplants that were going to occur in 2023. Um, and so all these people we spoke to said, no, we're going to do way more than that. We're going to do way more than that. Um, and we're able to, um, yeah, get a big edge. Another thing we did is there's a company, um, actually an Australian CEO that's involved later on in the organ transplant um, industry. And this was when we first saw the company, when it was raising money. We just said, right, we're going to bring this guy because he's a CEO of this company. And he said, we asked him, Transmedics, what do you think? Do you know anything about it? He says, oh, it's game changing. It's going to change the industry. And so when we knew we were looking at a new company that no one really looked at before, and we had this person who told us, oh, this is game changing, we knew that that was going to be a great entry point. Again, the work we did on the data, being able to extract the data, we know the medical centres that are using Transmedics. So we can estimate how many transplants are going to occur with their organs. That worked very well for us. And then, you know, that final stuff, and we're still doing a lot of stuff with the data. Um, and then the final thing was, yeah, you know, this is probably nine months ago or 12 months ago, we went to this heart, um, there was this um, organ transplant conference where we got the real insight that the 2023 estimate was um, really, really low from the market and that Transmedics were going to smash it. So that's um has been a very volatile stock as the market reacts to quarterly numbers uh, which makes it 
in the US, but you got to look through the noise. And to give you an idea, had a, had a September quarter where they beat the numbers, September, sorry, June quarter, where they did very well. Um, the result smashed earnings, but Hart only had 4% quarter on quarter growth. The stock halved, like literally halved. We'd already made a lot of money on it, so we're still up. We never went down from our original investment point. Um, and then you had to hold your nerve because in the next quarter, the one that's just come out, the September quarter, it literally was up 50% on the day, 100% for the month of November when the market realised that they were just jumping at shadows on that week. Um, the the week June number for Heart because they came out and just replaced, you know, just anyway, just knocked, knocked it out of the park and showed that that was just an anomaly on a three-month on a three-month number. So it's been a bit of a journey. We still own it. We've been taking profits in it recently because obviously it's done very well with this with interest rates going down, uh, it's obviously continuing to fly. So we've been taking some profits along the way. I'm really glad I asked uh, about that because it's um, there's a lot of people like uh, a lot of my clients are all you know 160 now they're 70. You know what I mean? One of my clients is 90 years old. So there's a lot of people probably listening to this that um, you know have been on the list for something you, for years. I don't, don't know if your 90 year old client's going to be first patient off the ranks for a brand <laughs> brand new heart. I think it might, I think, well, I actually, think- you know what? Um, I'll, I'll be, uh, I'm an avid uh, English football fan, and um, a, a 29 year old at Luton went down with myocarditis, had a, a had a heart attack on the pitch, right? And I think what LeBron James's son also yeah. had one playing. There's a lot of young athletes um, going down with heart problems. So to have essentially, a, a, no, I'm not getting Pfizer. into that today. I'm not getting into that today. But it's yeah, they, just all had, they all had the Pfizer. Uh, they all had the Pfizer vaccine. Oh, mate, I'm not touching that one. I'll probably get cancelled. But uh, <laughs> not that I care. But anyway, it's more about. I just, as you said, what was the numbers? Like only sixty percent of hearts make it. So the fact that for potentially that number can increase when people, you know, need these surgeries. You know, when yeah. they're in the middle of whoop whoop. The transmedics is what's fantastic. There's, there's work done regionally on a state level in the US, which is making it easier for hearts to be donated. As you can imagine, there's a lot of regulatory things that mean you know someone might have all their intention for their organs to be transplanted. They might be perfect, but there's just different impediments along the way. So it's sort of hand in glove uh, regulation needs to move also with technology, uh, which it is. Yeah, oh, very, very interesting. Um, so look, Christmas is around the corner. Uh, what's your outlook for 2024? Yeah, Where do you think the is going? It's, it's, right now is incredibly hard. We are, we are very, we are watching the markets very, very closely. The Russell hit a record you need to see leadership in the Russell to really get confidence that the US market is in recovery mode. Um, we need to see the recovery break. We need to see the Russell break out. Uh, came off 70 basis points. Um, on So it broke, broke out on Friday US time. Um, no, no, sorry. It came off on Friday US time, uh, which was... Um, it broke out on Thursday US time, so I'm just putting Thursdays and Fridays for Australia and the US because obviously they're different. Um, so 
it hit the high, but then it's just come back down again. And this is, it's hit this high three times before. So we're watching it very closely. Um, look, that everything's there for this soft landing uh, in terms of the inflation, it's coming back down. Now there's obviously elements of it that are transitory. Um, but you did have that US, the three month and the 10 year inverted. That's basically unbroken. But when that inverts, you have a recession on average 18 months later, um, which would put us, I think it's about March, April, May, which a lot of the, the, the strategists in New York are expecting, I think it was 60% expecting a recession. Uh, that number might have changed after the recent FOMC and inflation print earlier or you know, a few weeks ago. Um, the, so we're sitting there looking at this and we also know that if there's a recession in the US, um, the market's never bottomed before a recession. So if there is a recession, the market has never bottomed before, before that recession. Uh, it bottoms during the recession, except for once where in after .com, it bottomed after the recession. So if you look at history and you know, the dangerous, these time is different. If you look at history, it would say we're going to have a recession in March, April, May, something like that. Um, interest rates are going to get cut. The market is going to rally, but the market could have a big fall beforehand because we haven't seen the lows yet. And the S and P's at yeah, Nasdaq's at all time they're all time highs. Like it's S and P been driven obviously by those magnificent seven. So. I don't want to sit here and say what I think is going to happen because we're reacting um, literally on a daily basis with our portfolio to just make sure that we're not taking any undue risk given the market conditions. And we want to obviously, if we are in full recovery mode, we want to take advantage of it. But at the same time, most companies that are going to do very well will be the companies that do very poorly if we go into a recession. So we just need to be careful, uh, just careful there. So we're trying to put a portfolio that's going to perform in any condition. And then when we get a clear direction, we will um, move a little bit more in favor of that clear direction. I normally like finishing a podcast by asking, uh, you know, what keeps you up and not what gets you out of the bed in the morning. But I think you kind of covered it in avid detail. <laughs> what is it? The forecast for next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like, does it? I'm. I'm. What what keeps me up? I don't. I don't stress about it because I'm just thinking we need to. We react to the day as it presents itself. And at the moment, this rally is is yes, it's driven by lower rates, but technically, it doesn't have the technical support yet. Uh, and we're looking for not only that inflation to keep coming down and obviously interest rate expectations to come down, but see technically to see the breadth in the market. We don't want to see the market going up because of seven stocks because that doesn't mean anything. It means jackass, you know, like so people think it does. Yeah, like people, observers of the market, go, oh, the market's going very well. You know, like, look at it and it's like, well, if it's the top seven stocks, it doesn't mean anything. Look at the Russell. That is the barometer for the US economy. If that is meeting the S&P and breaking out versus the S&P and going up, 
1.5% while the S&P goes up 1% daily, that is very good. If it's not, then you have to have a lot of question marks about um, the which is what's happened today. Yes, so interesting. 2024 is going to be an interesting year. Well, Andrew, I really appreciated the conversation. Um, that was very, very interesting. Um, if anyone wants to learn more about Ophir and the funds or yourself, what's the best way to get information on you guys? I would put, you know, we live in an internet world. You can just get on the internet and send us a, send us a message. Follow us on LinkedIn. We pub- publish a lot of um, what we're thinking about markets, just Ophir Asset Management um, on the LinkedIn. Give you a constant sort of you can hear our daily thoughts. Uh, yeah, just reach out via the website. Yeah. <laughs> Happy days. All right, mate. Well, Merry Christmas and uh, get back to your holidays. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Murdoch. I really appreciate your time and I'm sure you'll uh, take advantage of the festive period and have a great time yourself. Most certainly will. Take it easy, Andrew. Thank you. Any views expressed in this recording do not represent the view of any other third party and are the sole personal opinions of the speaker. Any reference to financial product does not constitute advice or recommendation and before any action, you should seek proper advice from your financial professional. Australian listeners should head to www.moneysmart.gov.au to find more information on obtaining financial advice. To get in touch with York, head to our website www.yorkwealth.com.au.